The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Good evening, everybody. We begin the readout tonight with a story that you might remember about an armed militia that rose up against the U.S. government, but not in Washington, at least not at first. In 2014, Nevada rancher Clive and Bundy owed the U.S. government more than $1 million in fees for letting his cattle graze on federal lands without a permit for 21 years. But he refused to pay the fine, claiming that Nevada was a sovereign state and that, quote, I don't recognize the United States government even as existing. Okay, that sounds ridiculous. But he was dead serious. When officials with the U.S. Bureau of Land Management came to confiscate his cattle, a kind of repo man situation, an armed standoff broke out. And who joined Clive and Bundy in that standoff against the U.S. government? Elmer Stewart Rhodes, founder of the Oath Keepers, who called for his patriots to amass for a military combat operation. Fearing mass bloodshed, federal agents wound up releasing the cattle in order to de-escalate the situation. Here is Rhodes celebrating that victory. It was a posse. Those cowboys showed America how it's done. You cowboy up and you friggin' ride. And that's what they did. A lot of credit also goes to militia guys that showed up today. You got militia members here from all over the country. What we saw there was the people. What it was, was a combined arms defense of the Constitution. What happened today was a choice between bending the knee and submitting and standing up. And you folks stood up. Now, despite Rhodes orchestrating that standoff, he was never arrested, unlike some of the other participants. Sue Dellums, whose husband was arrested, asked BuzzFeed, how come Stewart is in prison? He was there. He told everyone to come. But the Bundy standoff was just one of many examples where Rhodes faced zero consequences for his actions. That is, until he was arrested yesterday, accused of seditious conspiracy. And it goes back much further than the Bundy ranch. Rhodes has been part grifter, part fame hound for years. His story is a tale as old as time, an average white guy with a fancy education, but not a lot to show for it, who found his niche in the American right wing's negative obsession with none other than feminist boogie woman Hillary Clinton, because of course. As BuzzFeed noted in a pretty epic backgrounder on Rhodes, he literally wrote a foaming at the mouth blog post in 2008, imagining what if, quote, Herr Hitlery, that's what he called her, is sworn in as president in 2009 and signs a ban on firearms dressed in her favorite Chairman Mao jumpsuit. Yeah, you wrote that. He theorized that the entire militia movement would be labeled enemy combatants and police would be ordered to go house to house to disarm the American people. He asked, would you do it? Would you just follow orders to shoot your fellow Americans? By 2009, with the first black president in office and the Tea Party movement raging, he founded the Oath Keepers, centered on a 10-item list of unconstitutional orders that the law enforcement and military members this one-time army paratrooper recruited must never obey. Rhodes' ideas picked up enough steam that he was actually interviewed on this very network. 
I want to know when you would call your forces together and no, challenge see, it's the authority not about, of the U.S. government. It's not about when would calling forces. It's not calling forces together. It's simply saying they're not going to comply with orders to violate the rights of the American people. We're not talking about the, asking them to go fight. We're saying simply don't okay, well, fight. Don't well, fight what's the this people. Don't fight. Interesting. Now, part of Rhodes' appeal was that he was a Yale-educated lawyer. He would get involved in conflicts and offer to represent clients. But he was literally disbarred after the Montana Supreme Court found that he had abandoned multiple clients as their cases came to trial. And as BuzzFeed notes, for Rhodes, conflict is the goal, not resolution, because conflict raises money. More conflict means more publicity, which in turn brings more revenue from donations and merchandise sales and $50 a year membership dues. As a former member described it to BuzzFeed, he flies in, throws up a PayPal, and then disappears. Of course, once Trump became president, the Oath Keepers went from anti-government to, yay, pro-government, sending members to provide volunteer security at Trump rallies. I guess the government is cool if it's in the right hands. And the idea that the election was somehow stolen from dear leader Trump Well, that turned out to be the perfect cause to rally his amateur troops around and rally the troops he did. But this time, Rhodes, for the first time, is having to answer for his incitements himself. For being part of those who fomented the Capitol actually in Washington, he's facing up to 20 years in prison, charged with seditious conspiracy, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of of an official proceeding, and conspiracy to prevent an officer from discharging any duties. In this case, trying to prevent Congress from certifying the presidential election. He's also charged with tampering with documents or proceedings, with the DOJ alleging that he deleted communications on his phone that showed his involvement in the conspiratorial attempted coup on January 6th of last year. He had his first court appearance today in Plano, Texas, and will stay in custody until his detention hearing, which is scheduled for January 20th, fittingly, one year to the day after President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris were inaugurated. Joining me now, Maya Wiley, former assistant U.S. attorney, and Frank Figluzzi, former FBI assistant director for counterintelligence. And uh, and Frank, I want to go right to you because I I am sort of in in a longtime wormhole about where these kind of militia movements that seem to peak, at least if you, you know, listen to the Southern Poverty Law Center, every time a Democrat is president. So when Bill Clinton was there, you had the Murrah bombings, you had this sort of militia movement spring up. Then you get another spurt of it when, you know, the fear that Hillary Clinton was going to become president. And then the first black president, President Obama comes in. You've got these movements that keep spiking each time. And then you have this Bundy Ranch thing that happens. Do you think that perhaps maybe even, you know, sort of federal authorities, FBI, et cetera, didn't draw enough connections between these movements, which attracted really the same kind of person that was then also attracted to be part of something like the Oath Keepers. What what a great observation and probably not talked about enough. And you're certainly right to draw a connection between the inception of Oath Keepers and the election of Barack Obama as our first black president. That's exactly when they decided they would announce their formation. Um, And you can't hide that fact. But what you're getting to on a larger scale is really this continued theme that I keep pushing, which is the inability of law enforcement to see us, American citizens, people who look like us, as a threat. And that's the problem with domestic terrorism and trying to counter domestic terrorism. You know, we just heard the announcement from DOJ this week. They created a new 
domestic terrorism unit, fantastic, but uh, it's 2022. It's yeah. one year after the January 6th anniversary. It's over 25 years after the Murrah, uh, Oklahoma City federal building bombing. And, and we're creating a unit now at, at DOJ. So, yes, you're, you're getting to the, the, the problem of seeing us as a threat. Really easy to see those folks over there as, as the threat. Yeah. We've got all kinds of laws, international terrorism laws, material support to terrorism. But... We don't have domestic terrorism law. We still can't quite see ourselves as the threat that we are and anticipate and predict a movement that's going to come out of some other triggering event. Well, the same is just involved because, I mean, see us as a threat. I mean, the us, it depends on who you mean by us, right? I mean, we have Muslims in America. Law enforcement has had no problem entering their mosques when some Muslim anywhere around the world commits a terrorist act. They have no problem, like, profiling them. You know, Black Lives Matter is a peaceful movement. I think there was something in the statistics, like 96 percent of Black Lives Matter protests were peaceful. But law enforcement has no trouble not only targeting, but tear gassing Black Lives Matter marchers. Right. It's like is is the problem here that the person who kind of looks like the G-man and looks like the G-man's family, people basically do look like you, Frank, are, that there's there is an inability for law enforcement to see that particular demographic as threatening, because they certainly seem to manage to consider lots of other groups who are Americans to be threatening. Well, our history is filled with with what you're talking about, whether you want to talk about J. Edgar Hoover and the 60s and early 70s and the Black Panther movement and, and MLK, right, uh, clearly real quickly identified as a threat, whether they were or not. Right. And then um, you, you fast forward to to 9-11 and all kinds of steps being taken to develop informants, undercover agents, uh, wiretapping all within the law. But why? Because the law allowed it. Or in the case of J. Edgar Hoover, there were no laws governing it at all. So, yeah, yeah. We, we've got a problem here. And it's going to require a rethinking of how you approach the domestic threat writ large, regardless of skin color, religion. If you change the religion of the folks entering the Capitol on January 6th to Islam, likely undercover agents, informants would have picked that up before it ever happened. Absolutely. And people will be profiled, being profiled left and right. Maya, you know, it's interesting that um, one of the arguments, because part of the reason that it's been difficult, I think, also for law enforcement, is not just the, the blinkered sort of thinking about demographics, but also that the right has been actually really proactive about pushing back when law enforcement tries to draw the connections. I can remember, uh, you know, I'm older to remember during the Obama administration, the Department of Homeland Security, Jen Napolitano's outfit, trying to say, hey, look, we should take a look at these potential domestic terrorists who are right-wing influence and have right-wing ideologies, but because they were predominantly white Christians, the outrage on the right was so so overwhelming that they actually withdrew the report. Like They were like, oh, sorry, we won't, we won't profile them anymore. There are any black people we can go back and profile, sorry. You know, and, 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 and let me just give you an example of that, because part of the talking point on the right about January 6th is that has been that you can't call it an insurrection and you can't call it a conspiracy because no one's been charged with that. Take a look at this little quick sound match of our great producers put together. Oh, it was an insurrection. So how many of the participants in that insurrection have been charged with insurrecting, with sedition, with treason? Zero. Has anybody been charged on January 6th with insurrection? They keep calling this an insurrection. Nobody. Has anybody been charged with sedition? Nobody. Has anybody been charged with treason? Nobody. So why do they keep calling it an insurrection? How many times do words like insurrection, sedition, or treason appear in Biden's own DOJ indictments 
against the January 6th rioters? The answer, zero. It's an insult to people when you say it's an insurrection and then a year later, nobody has been charged with that. Right. And I mean, Britt Hume, the political analyst at Fox News, just yesterday, literally uh, yesterday said, hey, you know, let's view, uh, you know, base our our thoughts on January 6th about whether anybody's charged with insurrection. We can go on and on and on. Give us, is there any material difference between this 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 specific charge and the charges that uh, this man and the others face, seditious conspiracy and insurrection? Maya, from a legal point yeah. of view. Yeah, from a legal point of view, this is significant and flies in the face of that argument that we're hearing from the right that says, don't believe your lying eyes because you haven't seen it in an indictment. <laughs> well, not only did we see it, uh, this indictment is, and I, I've said this before, I'll say it again, it's not just a smoking gun. It's a smoking howitzer because it is literally relying on statements made in text in communications between Stuart Rhodes and the other co-conspirators that are listed in that indictment, many of whom have already been charged, right, and are facing um, criminal penalties already. So this is actually, a, demonstrates how one, the Department of Justice had been building to this moment, right? But also that it's really put together the evidence because, and I'm sure we have not, we never usually see all the evidence in indictment, right? Just enough. Uh, what's in there is quite explicit that says, you know, Stuart Rhodes, who, by the way, even before the indictment, uh, back in November of 2020, was on Alex Jones' Infowars saying, essentially, that he would be prepared for the nuclear op option that they already were amassing people outside of D.C. He said that, what, you know, at the beginning of this. And they're tracking from that all these communications about, you know, Civil War, Civil War time, you know, it's uh, they started running training, recruiting folks and running training exercises. And as we already saw from the videotapes with our own eyes, but it's in the indictment as well, planned and went in with military strategy and force. Uh, and that really demonstrates just how planned it was. But it's all right there in the indictment in black and white. And what we know is they don't plead guilty. Right? Obviously, if it doesn't seem like that's what we're going to see, there's going to be yeah. a trial. And that means there's going to be a matter of public record and public evidence, even more than we've seen in that indictment. And nobody's going to be able to use those top points anymore. Yeah, I mean, let's put up this is this is a one for 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 uh, the, the, our great uh, team in the control room. This is a photo of the Oath Keepers. At the, it's literally labeled. So this is part of the indictment. They, they've literally labeled them all together. And, and very quickly for you, Maya, and then for you, Frank, is the goal t generally in these kind of prosecutions to say like Connie Meggs or Laura Steele, here you are in this photo. There you are. I'm circling you. You want to testify against Stuart Rhodes or what? Like, is, is the goal here to flip one of them or to just indict them all? Well, look, you know, the or goal prosecute is them all. They're already indicted. Prosecute them. Yeah, they're already indicted. I mean, what you always want to get whenever you have co-conspirators is some being willing to say, OK, we're in trouble here. I'm going to deal first early, get the best deal and be willing to give out evidence against the others. That's 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 always beneficial. And if these co-conspirators have good lawyers, they're going to start talking because the indictment is powerful. And as we've seen, there's also a public record, not just what we're hearing is in the text messages 
But just what we're hearing in those text messages, explicit, explicit that this is about violent overthrow and prevention, preventing the government from doing what yep. it's constitutionally charged to do. Yeah, and Frank, you know, I, yesterday I made the the uh, bin Laden analogy, right? That sort of Trump is sort of the bin Laden in the situation saying, hey, you know, you all should really make me stay in office and do X, Y and Z. But then he sits back and watches it on TV and enjoys. He doesn't fly the planes himself, so to speak. In this case, Stuart Rhodes has been doing that for a long time. I mean, with the Bundy Ranch stuff, he was like, hey, get in there and fight. But he then tends to walk away and get away. This time he's a part of the he's a part of it. He's he's been charged. He's now being read, you know, read to rights. Um how would yeah, two, a law enforcement agency that wanted to break these kinds of momentums toward this kind of anti-government conspiracies that escalated from Montana, I mean, from out west all the way to the Capitol, how do you undo it? How do you even get in there? Do they need to start infiltrating these groups? Like, what do they need to do? Here's the, here's the dilemma. We saw on January 6th a failure to act upon available intelligence. People were afraid of the intelligence. People are, understandably, law enforcement agencies do not want to spy on Americans. They don't want to violate civil liberties. But we've got to allow them to do what they can do within the law. And even within the law, Joy, they could have, seeing that intelligence, getting reports, could have opened at least threat assessments, if not full investigations to study and analyze what was happening and develop further intel about January 6th. The, the, the handcuffs have to come off of federal law enforcement to be allowed what they can already lawfully do. And then we need new techniques allowed so that they can infiltrate these groups and not wait for the violence to happen. The significance of this uh, of these arrests yesterday, you know, one, it shows you don't have to be in that the Capitol beating somebody up to be arrested for one of the most serious crimes in America. Everybody should be concerned about in terms of planning right away from the Capitol. Secondly, um, someone's going to flip and they're going to talk about why they needed that crowd, why they knew they could pull this off and who sent the crowd to the Capitol to fight. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I said Montana, I meant Nevada or out west, whatever, all, all out west. But yes, Maya Wiley, Frank, Frank Figluzzi. Thank you both very much. Important conversation up next on The Readout. Kevin McCarthy is the latest Republican to run and hide, screaming from the January 6th Select Committee. Committee member Jamie Raskin joins me on that and on his new book, Unthinkable Trauma, Truth and the Trials of American Democracy. Plus, what's next for the Biden agenda as Democrats face a wall of obstruction from their right flank? mansion and cinema and tonight's absolute worst is a first timer but given her hypocrisy and racist dog whistles it probably won't be her last appearance the readout continues after this whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style and you'll find the best mattress for you at ashley the new temper adapt collection at ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body conforming technology making every sleep tailored to be your best the collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. 
And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Kevin McCarthy, where's Kevin? There's my Kevin. Kevin is my Kevin. From the very start, Kevin McCarthy has proven to be an inanimate object who exists solely for Orange Julius Caesar to play with. Kevin followed Trump around like a little puppy dog on a leash trying to appease him. We all remember how Kevin had a staffer take the time to pick out just the right color starbursts to put in a jar so he could give it to Trump as a present. Throughout the last five years, he's done just about everything to keep the Florida man and his MAGA lemmings happy with the hope that he could one day become a real boy. Just like that trained doggy who occasionally pees in the house, though, McCarthy apparently had an accident on January 6th and in the days that followed when he talked about the phone calls that he had with his dear leader. I say he has responsibility. He told me personally that he does have some responsibility. I think a lot of people do. Of course, on that same day, Trump had a very different take. What is your role in what happened at the Capitol? What is your personal responsibility? So if you read my speech, and many people have done it, and I've seen it both uh, in the papers and in the media, on television, uh, it's been analyzed, and people thought that what I said was totally appropriate. And at no point has Trump publicly acknowledged what he supposedly told Kevin, nor has he taken any responsibility for the insurrection. So you see, because of insights like that, the January 6th Select Committee has asked to speak with McCarthy. But with Trump's leash tightly wrapped around his neck, Kevin is following other Trumpian sycophants in refusing to speak up, leaving the committee to decide whether a subpoena is in order. The Washington Post editorial board put it best, quote, subpoenaing the minority leader would be unprecedented, but his behavior amounts to a dereliction of his oath to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. In his quest to become the next GOP House Speaker, Mr. McCarthy has instead thrown in his lot with the enemies of democracy. Joining me now is Congressman Jamie Raskin of Maryland. He's a member of the House Select Committee on the January 6th attack and the author of the new book, Unthinkable Trauma, Truth and the Trials of American Democracy. Never has a book been so aptly named and so timely. Um, Congressman, thank you so much for being here. So, you know, I just want to get your sense as somebody who, you know, I've been blessed to have on, on this show and my previous weekend show a lot. And you're a great sort of constitutionalist. You're, you're great at talking about the way our system is supposed to work and sort of digging into the minutia of it. For somebody like you who has such clear reverence for the constitutional and, and the framework, what do you make of Kevin McCarthy's absolute obedience to a former president um, and his refusal to speak with the commission that's trying to get to the bottom of what happened to him and to you and to this country. Well, thank you for having me, Joy. It is a scandal, of course. And before we talk about the legal dimension, we really do have to talk about the moral dimension. I mean, it's a sign of how degraded our political discourse has become that we immediately get to the question of, will we subpoena him? Do we have the right to subpoena him? Can he get out of the subpoena? What about just the pure 
morality of this situation. Our government, our Congress, the Congress he serves in as a leader, was attacked by violent insurrectionists. There was an attempt to overthrow the results of a presidential election. This was a seditious conspiracy indeed, at least one of them, if not multiple of them. And we have a leader of the Republican caucus in the House of Representatives who is hiding under his bed. He's refusing to come and speak about it when, of course, he said, of course he would before. He said, sure, he'll come and testify. And his own statements came into the Senate impeachment trial through Republican Congresswoman Jamie Herrera Butler, who McCarthy told he had called Donald Trump on January 6th, essentially to say, help us, save us from this. And Trump said, oh, it's not my people. It's not MAGA. It's yeah. Antifa. And at that point, McCarthy said, no, it's not Antifa. It's your people. And you got to save us. And then Trump, of course, uh, famously said, well, maybe they just care a little bit more about a fair election than you do, Kevin. Um, but he's got to cover up the fact that he did the right thing in reacting like a human being, saying, call these dogs off. And now he's got to cover it up because they're so sycophantic and submissive to this pathological leader, Donald Trump. Yeah, I've called it sort of beta maildom. It's sort of it's it's it's, it's weird. It's a, but but you know, Kevin McCarthy used to have a very different view um, about whether people ought to come before Congress when asked. Here is his. Um, talks about this is what he had to say about the Benghazi committee, which you remember, there were like 11 different Benghazi, uh, you know, hearings. And here he is, uh, Ari Hillary Clinton. Everybody thought Hillary Clinton was unbeatable, right? But we put together a Benghazi special committee, a select committee. What are her numbers today? Her numbers are dropping. Why? Because she's untrustable. But no one would have known any of that had happened had we not I agree. thought and That's made that good. I give you so credit for that. That, of course, cost him his last opportunity to be speaker. But do you think that Kevin McCarthy, you know him, you've dealt with him for a while, genuinely thinks that the January 6th committee is trying to do to Republicans what he very admitted on TV that he wanted to do to Hillary Clinton, right? Do you think he genuinely thinks that the January 6th committee isn't real and that it's just basically, does he think that the, the people on the committee are like him and that they're doing what he's doing? Or do you think there's some other motive? No, he, first of all, they understood how opportunistic and partisan they were in going after Hillary Clinton. And he confessed it in that embarrassing footage that you just showed right there. But look, Kevin McCarthy supported an independent outside commission to investigate January 6th with five Republicans, five Democrats, equal subpoena power, and we agreed to it. And then when Donald Trump turned against it, saying he wanted no investigation of any kind, no matter how objective, no matter how bipartisan, at that point, McCarthy turned on a dime for his cult leader and then uh, opposed it. And so he's continued to try to sandbag our bipartisan investigation, which is making tremendous progress in un unveiling the real facts of what took place on January 6th yeah. and the causes behind it. Uh, let, let me play for you. Um, you <laughs> this this is is your is yourself, and you were you know talking about just what you personally dealt with because you were going through a lot. And this book, um, and I have a copy of it here. Um, you you talk about the, you know your own personal tragedy that you had to deal with in the midst of dealing with this national tragedy. Let me just play a little bit of that, and you talking about what you dealt with on January sixth. 
My youngest daughter, Tabitha, was there with me on Wednesday, January 6th. It was the day after we buried her brother, our son, Tommy, the saddest day of our lives. Also, there was my son-in-law, Hank. But the reason they came with me that Wednesday, January 6th, was because they wanted to be together with me in the middle of a devastating week for our family. And I told them I had to go back to work because we were counting electoral votes that day on January 6th. It was our constitutional duty. It is difficult to kind of react in real time to ongoing tragedy. You've done a remarkable job, and, and I will reissue my condolences to you and your family for your loss. Why did you write this book at this time? Why did you relive this for, for all of us? And what will we learn from, from this? Well, the book, Joy, um, was a labor of love for my son, Tommy. And I suppose it's a kind of love letter to my son, but it's a love letter to the country, too, and to the democracy that I love. And my family and I faced these twin traumas that came right upon each other. One, a private family trauma with the loss of our beloved Tommy, and the other, the assault on our democracy, the attempted coup on January the 6th. And it was a sleepless year for me. I wasn't sleeping anyway, and I basically figured I could spend the rest of my life obsessed with these events where I could try to record in painstaking detail exactly what had happened, uh, both with Tombow and then also on January 6th, and then also as the lead impeachment manager putting the team together and uh, organizing the case against Donald Trump for inciting a violent insurrection against the union. And so that I did. It took me about five months um, to write the book, but uh, my heart is in that book. Um, and um, I've basically dedicated myself now to trying to save our democracy against this right-wing authoritarianism, this fascism and white nationalism and racism that has been set loose in the country against our democratic institutions, against our democratic values. So I'm carrying on um, in the memory and in the spirit of my son and also for my family and for my beloved constituents in Maryland's 8th District and for Americans across the country who love our democracy. Absolutely. Well, I thank you. Um, blessings to you and your family. And thank you for all that you do to try to save this democracy. It ain't easy work. And thank you for sharing your heart with us tonight. Um, have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, Jamie Raskin, Congressman. The Jamie pleasure Raskin. is mine. Cheers. Thank you, Joy. Cheers. All right. Tune in on Sunday, all of you, please, on February 6th for the premiere of Love in the Constitution about Congressman Raskin's struggle to save democracy and his personal tragedy with the loss of his beloved son, Tommy. And coming up, 30 million families are feeling the effects of the mansion cinema wall of obstruction firsthand today as monthly child tax payments come to an end. Stay with us. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.
Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. The Senate will vote on voting rights legislation, albeit later than expected. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has delayed a planned MLK Day vote until Tuesday. Schumer cited a snowstorm headed towards the nation's capital and not, say, the certain humiliation of losing a voting rights vote on King Day. But either way, winter isn't coming. It's already here. North remembers, except we've seen this wall before. The wall of obstruction from conservative Democratic senators Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, since the new Night King and Queen have frozen any plans to push through two voting bills, making clear they have zero intention of supporting changes to the Senate filibuster in spite of President Biden's call to do just that for voting legislation. The president hosted the pair at the White House last night for what was termed a candid and respective, respectful exchange of views on voting rights. I'm joined joy- now. By Dean Obadala, MSNBC columnist and host of the eponymous Dean Obadala show on Sirius XM and Bakari Sellers, civil rights attorney, former South Carolina state representative and author of Who Are Your People? His first children's book. And I, I love it when a book lets you come to these streets, uh, Bakari. Nice to see you on this <laughs> side. Um, don't, don't make yourself too much at home or make yourself very much at home. <laughs> Let's talk about what's going on in Washington. I mean, Schumer's obviously delaying this vote because he doesn't have the votes and they don't want to embarrass everyone on King Day. But in your view, just looking at this as somebody who's been very much involved in sort of the political world, what's the point of having this vote on Tuesday? Is it just to make them have the debate? It's twofold. I think it's to make them have the debate. And I think it's to put our our friends uh, on Front Street. I mean, the fact is, as we celebrate King Day, we have to remember that King said it's not the words of our enemies, uh, but the silence of our friends. And the fact that that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, and they're not alone. I mean, they're, they're also speaking for Mark Kelly and John Tester and Chris Coons. Let, let's be honest about this. I mean, the fact is they want to be on the side of of the of the Bull Connors, of the Lester Maddox, of the of the George Wallace's, the individuals who stood in the way of racial progress in this country. And I have my twins just turned three um, last Friday. And I, it pains me to say that we're still literally fighting for voting rights in this country. Um, and it seems to be that the white moderate is that person that's standing in the way of it. Yeah, I think that, you know, they they mean friends the way that uncle is like, that's your friends, friends. You know, I'm not sure how much friends they really are, really, honestly. You know, Dean, the other thing that we're fighting all is sort of all at once at the same time is this issue um, of want, because the other thing that Joe Manchin did was stood in the way of Build Back Better, which, of course, mm-hmm. means that those child tax credits that people had really come to rely on over the last couple of years during the pandemic, poof, gone. And in a state like his that's got a lot of poor folks, you know, your thoughts on that. I think, first of all, we need to get, this is my idea for Cinema and Mansion, body doubles. We get body doubles to go in and cast the vote in favor of getting rid of the filibuster. I, I have, I'm out of ideas for these two. They're the Bonnie and Clyde obstruction at this point. Look, in West Virginia, the sixth highest poverty rate in the nation. I was reading articles today. West Virginia is saying, we're going to lose this money. 35 million Americans are going to lose 
a monthly check, $300 for a kid. And they said, we have to tighten our belts, but we've already tightened it as much as we can. Families were using this for groceries. Inflation affects the lower income even more painfully. So now he's taking money from people in his own state and he doesn't care. And that's not what Democrats do. That's what Republicans do. Same thing with Cinnamon Manchin on, if you're gonna preserve the filibuster over preserving our democracy, you're not a Democrat. It's that simple. I've never said this before about a fellow Democrat, that you're in the wrong party, but when it comes to preserving our democracy, that's the red line. Too many people have sacrificed yeah. and been killed for that right to vote to just filibuster it away. Yeah, uh, and, and also Bonnie and Clyde were more interesting. Um, let, let's go back to you, Vicar. We're going to get a lot into this in this block while we have the time. Let's talk about this guy, Djokovic. Um, Novak Djokovic. Um, it, you know, they have now been called risks to public health. Um, doctors have asked Spotify to pull um, segments of Joe Rogan's show. Um, Australia has said, no, get out. You just leave. We don't want you here. What do you make of these high profile people? Because they are really influencing folks to not get vaccinated. And that is spreading beyond MAGA, particularly um, to a lot of African-Americans, young black folks who are refusing to get vaxxed. I mean, it's a tragedy. I just had uh, uh, uh uh, Dr. Fauci on my podcast today and just trying to push back on a lot of the misinformation and disinformation that's coming out. And the troublesome part is, yes, is Joe Rogan, who has one of the largest podcasts in the world. Uh, yes, is, is Djokovic, who is the number one tennis player in the world. Yes, is Aaron Rodgers, who's the front runner for the NFL MVP. But it's also Ted Cruz, right? It's actually people who we have in the halls of Congress who are sowing this type of distrust and misinformation as well. Look, yeah. I, I don't have any room to play with folk who uh, want to go out here and push misinformation about something that can kill children, that can kill those who have these comorbidities, that can kill those who are immunosuppressed. And so we need to make sure that the Joe Rogans of the world, that we amplify our platform to push back on them because they're going to be there. And unfortunately, they're wreaking havoc on impressionable minds. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Very quickly for you, um, Dean Abadala, John Katko, who voted to impeach Trump, he's gone. He's not seeking reelection. Thoughts? Well, look, he's the, there was 10, Demo, 10 Republicans voted for impeachment. Three are gone. The rest have been censured. They've gotten death threats. The GOP is loyalty to Trump or you're gone. That's not a political party. That is a fascist movement. I was so glad to see Congressman Raskin use the term that we use, Joy, fascism, because, yeah. folks, this is what fascism looks like. It's not a joke. Yes, it's it not is. hyperbolic. It's autocracy yep. plus violence. That's today's GOP. Absolutely. Bakari, tell me about this book, because you've got little kids, so that is a great motivation to write a children's book. But tell, tell us what the book is about. What will we see in it? You know, respectfully, I was tired of my kids seeing blue and purple people. I wanted them to see uh, themselves on the pages and the representation that's there. It teaches us our history. It teaches us our culture to be proud of it. It teaches us to dream. I, I'm a big believer in dreaming with your eyes open. And I think there's more that we have in common that divides us. And so this book is just a journey to uh, go through our history in a way that we want to talk about race at this time, but also teach people that they can dream big dreams. And we ask the question, how are you going to change the world? And Sadie in the book is the president and Stokely's an astronaut. And uh, I think it's right for this moment. I absolutely love that. And what is what I mean, what inspired you to write it? Is there uh, a children's book that your children love? I mean, do your you know, and you have adorable kids, by the way, people who follow you on social media know your children are beautiful. Um, is there something that inspired you specifically to do this? Because well, there, you've written before. You're an author. What what is it? Just yeah, no, having I, I will, these cute, we, cute kids? Because, because me and you go way back in these streets, I will tell you and I will level <laughs> set. 
with you. This is their third favorite book. This ain't even their favorite book. They got a numbers book and a word book that they like more than they like the daddy's book with their pictures on the front. <laughs> but they inspired me. I, I can honestly say Reggie Brown took their imagery, threw it in there. I, I want them to grow up and be able to understand that it's, you know, nothing about this country is irredeemable. We have to reimagine what they look like or what she looks like. And so yeah. I, I want to reimagine what this country looks like. And I put those words on the page so they're proud of their history and proud of where we're going in the future. Well, I, I will be buying copies to give to my friends who've got little kids because my kids are big now. So they're, they're too big for a children's book. But I'll, I'll definitely give some away to friends uh, that have little kids. All right, Dina Bakari, we're not letting them get away. They're staying with us because guess what we're going to do next after the break? We're going to brighten up your week by playing Who Won the Week. But first, it's tonight's absolute worst. It was a tough call, y'all, with so many worsts to choose from this week. But yeah, I think we nailed it. We'll be right back. Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee is the poster child for the modern-day GOP. Coup defending, Fauci trolling, someone who loves to red-bait every valid human need from health care to Social Security and access to child care. About that, Blackburn once tweeted, quote, you know who else liked universal daycare? Alongside an old article about daycare existing in the former Soviet Union. Because, yes, high-quality education and nutrition are all part of a treacherous communist plot. Who knew? Like Kanye, Blackburn has a history of beefing with Taylor Swift. In her Netflix documentary, Swift called Blackburn Trump in a wig. Blackburn has since fired back a warning over the Breitbart airwaves that Swift will be the first victim when the Marxists take over America. It's dumb. But the reason we're all talking about the Tennessee Republican tonight is because of how she questioned one of President Biden's circuit court nominees. Andre Mathis, if confirmed, he would be the first black man to serve on the sixth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals from Tennessee. But there's something about Mr. Mathis that makes the senator doubt his qualifications. She just doesn't seem to like him. Hmm, I wonder what that might be. Here she is grilling him about failures to appear in court following traffic citations all from a decade or more ago. It has been made public that he has a rap sheet with a laundry list of citations, including multiple failures to appear in court in Tennessee. We expect our judges to respect the law, not disregard it. If Mr. Mathis thought he was above the law before, imagine how he'll conduct himself if he's confirmed. Senator, do you know what a rap sheet is? It stands for Record of Arrests and Prosecutions. It does not describe three speeding tickets from a long time ago. You know what else? One of those tickets was for going five miles over the speed limit. And yet, when it comes to Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who was accused by multiple women of sexual assault, Blackburn just can't see what all the fuss is about. We have spent enough time and money trashing a good man and his name. Mm-hmm. But this is when we in the news business like to say you just can't make this stuff up. Because last year, Senator Blackburn herself was pulled over by Capitol Police, but she got out of it by flashing her congressional pin. Republican hypocrisy is the absolute worst. It just is. Put that on your rap sheet, Senator. Stay with us. Who on the week is next? TGIF, happy Friday. We finally made it to the end of another long week. And now that means it's time to play our favorite game. Ah, yes. Who won the week? Back with me, Dean Obadala and Bakari Sellers. Dean, you are the veteran in this game. So I'm going to ask you to go first. Tell us, please, who won the week? 
I would give it to Bakari for his book, to be honest. I think the oh book was great, but, <laughs> um, but they, I can't because Republicans are going to ban it, calling it critical race theory. So there's nothing I can do about oh, that. Oh, that's Sorry, about Bacari. to happen. It's like black people on the cover. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh-huh. They just passed a law in Florida. Your book's been banned. I'm sorry, Bakari. But anyway, it's I'm going to give it to Merrick Garland and the DOJ. And it sounds weird because I've criticized Merrick Garland, but 11 people charged with seditious conspiracy, the Oath Keepers. And what I love about this, we're getting closer to Trump. Two of the people charged yesterday were bodyguards for Roger Stone on January 5th and 6th. And in the charging documents, it talks about Oath Keepers talking in mid-December last year. They were going because Trump invited them with his tweet saying, come here, make it wild. And they said, yes, sir, we're going to make it wild in their postings. So we're getting to the point, Joy, where we can say what I keep saying. Donald Trump is the Osama bin Laden of January 6th. It's a Trump production from start to end. And Merrick Garland, if you indict Trump, you'll be my person of the year, of the decade. So I give it to Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland. Well, you know, I'm not ready to go from calling him from Merrick the Mild to Merrick the Magnificent yet, but I will go with Merrick the maybe. He's all right. All right, let's go to Bakari Sellers. Who won the week? (laughs) I actually, first of all, I love this game. That's for a second. I agree with Dean. Uh, because Merrick, I think people have to be patient with Merrick Garland. Look, the next are the organizers and the financiers and then maybe some Congress people, et cetera. This week has been tough because we're not passing BBB. We're not passing voting rights. We didn't get criminal justice reform. So the person that wins the week is Bakari Sellers and Reggie Brown. Duh, you should have stayed there, Dean. This book is amazing. I can't give it to the show and not give myself the award. There we go. Look at this. Listen, no one has ever awarded themselves who won the week, so you have set a new standard, my friend. That's how you actually play when you want to win. Okay, so I, I, I'm mad at you. You can come back. Yeah, you can come back, but you got to think of somebody else. You can't win a week every time. You got to change up. Okay, but let me just say, okay, so since Bakari's book is now probably banned in Florida, sorry, because it is critical race theory. It just is. I'm going to pick someone else who's also critical race theory and thus also banned. So y'all... Uh, Look at this, because you ain't going to be able to learn about it in school. In the state of Virginia, which has elected an opponent of, again, critical race theory, fake critical race theory, they have said that what students must actually learn includes the first debate between Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass and the writings of the founding fathers of the United States. Melissa Murray tweeted, is this real? Are we actually living in a timeline where the legislature of Virginia is proposing to reform education by teaching its students that the Lincoln-Douglas debates featured Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass? Frederick Douglass, he's doing a great job. He's being recognized more and more. He won the week because he's always winning the week until he gets banned by Florida because he's critical race theory. Thank you, Dean Obadala. Bakari Sellers, y'all are great. Have a great weekend. Buy Bakari's book for your kids. And that is tonight's readout. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.